If you would open your Bibles to the book of Galatians, we will continue studying through the book of Galatians. This morning we'll be in chapter 3. We'll be picking up in verse 10. Well, we have been studying through the book of Galatians, and uh, we have been watching as the Apostle Paul is defending this doctrine of salvation by faith alone. Remember what's taken place in, uh, in, in the region of Galatia is Paul has come there, he's preached the gospel, he's preached salvation by faith alone, and then people are coming behind him, these men are coming behind him, these Judaizers, they're believers in Jesus Christ, but they're trying to sort of add to the gospel that Paul's taught. They're saying, yes, faith alone is good, but now you need to live a certain way. Your life needs to reflect certain things is what they're saying. And and in that day, it was Judaism. They were saying to the people that were getting saved, whether they were Gentile or whether they were Jewish, hey, that's great you believe on Jesus Christ. Now you need to be circumcised. You need to begin keeping the feast. You need to begin keeping the law. You need to be doing these things that we did as Jews. And Paul's here in this letter is really speaking out against it. He's going to continue to say, as he said it so far, salvation is not by your works. And he said, if it was by your works, if you could attain it by your works, then there would be no reason for Christ to die. And we've sort of compared the law. We've taken a look at the law and exactly what the law was. And we've talked in the past how the law, here in Galatians, the Apostle Paul's speaking about the law of Moses. He's speaking about the Ten Commandments specifically, about the Hebrew law or the Jewish law. But we also have spoke about how sometimes we as Christians can set up our own laws. We can set up our own standards that we think we must live by. And it, it applies to the same thing. It becomes, it becomes a legalistic relationship. My relationship with the Lord is focused on how I'm doing, not what he's done. And so Paul's speaking against that too. But specifically here, let's pick up in chapter 3, verse 10. Paul says this, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But no one, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by faith. In verse 10, Paul's setting something up. Because he understands there to be objection to his argument. He says this, and he says it very clearly. If you are under the works of the law, you're living under a curse. What does he mean by that? He says, if you have set yourself underneath of the law, whether it be the Hebrew law, whether it be your requirements as a good Christian, whether it be a law that a church specifies for you, he says you're living under a curse. Let me explain it to you how he specifically meant it. Do you remember back in the book of Deuteronomy? Back in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses said this, I set before you a blessing and a curse, right? It was about Deuteronomy chapter 12 somewhere back there. Today I'm setting before you a blessing and a curse. It was after he had come down from Mount Sinai the second time with the second set of commandments. And he said, I'm setting before you this blessing and this curse, and it was based on your obedience. If you obey the law that I'm giving you, and at that time it was the Ten Commandments, you'll be blessed. If you disobey the law, then you'll be cursed. You see, the law, what Paul is saying is this law that has been set before them is going to bring you a blessing or a curse, depending on your obedience to that. That's what the Apostle Paul means by that. For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse. 
For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. He quotes there Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 36. He says, listen, if you're going to be under the law, you have to keep doing the law. Because the moment you stop doing the law, it becomes disobedience. You can't just pick and choose. And, and the Apostle Paul's making this point, salvation is through faith alone, not by, your, not by how well you keep the law. It's, it's, listen, we, 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 as we sit here this morning, we go, yeah, yeah, Rob, I don't, we're not worried about the Jewish law. Most of us, I don't think any of us in here that I know of grew up Jewish and we're, we're not, we were never caught up in that. But here as Christians in our society today, we have what's called legalism. We have legalism. We have legalistic Christians out there. And those are the things that I think that we take these scriptures and we have to apply them to ourselves because the people, here's the problem. If you're a legalistic Christian, you don't know that you're a legalistic Christian. You think you're doing it right. You think everybody else knows you're a legalistic Christian because of the way that you act. But you think, oh, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And let me see if I can put it to you this way. I want to give you a few signs of what legalism looks like in the life of a believer. Just a few, okay? First of all, a believer who is living under a law of legalism, and that can be anything. It can be something you've set up for yourself. I know personally in my life, I've set up something for myself in the past where I'm going to get up every morning at this time, I'm going to spend this much time in the Scriptures. When I do it, it's great. When I don't, I feel like, oh, I've messed up, I've blown it today. That's legalism. When you decide that you're going to do something. A long time ago, I learned, you know what, Lord, if you want me to get up early, you wake me up. And when I wake up early, I won't go back to sleep. I'll get up. And it's amazing how many times in my life, the Lord, I'll wake up at 4, 4.30, and uh, I'll just get up. Okay, it's time to get up and pray, time to get up and spend time in the Word. But if I try to set my alarm for 4.30 in the morning, there's no way I'm getting up. That would be legalism for me. But here's what I think. Here's a couple things. Number one, a legalistic Christian lacks the true joy of the Lord. They really do. They lack the true joy because it's always about how they're doing and not what He's done. If they're living the standards that they've set or the church has set or somebody has set for them, then they're happy. Then they're joyful. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But the moment they fail to live up to that standard, because that standard becomes the very curse that you're living under. If I'm keeping it, I'm good. If I'm not keeping it, I'm miserable. So they, they walk around, they lack the true joy. And, and it's their, their joy, their relationship with the Lord is always based on how they're doing with him today. Oh, if I've done what I'm supposed to, then I'm joyful. But if I haven't, then I'm not joyful. Do you see the mix up there? I should be more joyful when I've sinned because then I realize, God, I've got grace. Wow, the sin should make me look at God and go, unbelievable. I can't believe he still loves me and I just blew it like that. I can't believe I did or thought or whatever it is. That's the grace of God. So a legalistic Christian, not always, but sometimes lacks the true joy of the Lord. The other thing I think, or I've seen in the past, is sometimes a legalistic Christian, they have, this, uh, they have this, uh, this, this critical attitude towards others. Nobody else is doing it like I'm doing it. Nobody else is living up to the standard that's been set. And they like to look at everybody else's life and find the faults. And what they do is they say, well, I get up every morning and I spend my time in the Word and I, get up every, and I do my time in prayers, but this person doesn't. They find themselves very, very critical of what everybody else is doing, both inside the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ. Even, you know, when they look at the world and go, oh, I can't believe they're living like that. Oh, I can't believe they're doing those things. Oh, I can't believe that we pass laws in, you know, gay marriage or whatever it is. I can't believe, should we really be shocked that the world is living like a bunch of heathens when they're not believers? 
We shouldn't be surprised by that. Do we, do, do we, can't we look and say we know where it's going? We know it's going to, can I tell you that it's going to get worse? We shouldn't be, we, next week or next month when the next thing comes along, we shouldn't be like, oh, I can't believe it. It's coming. It's, it's, it's going to get worse, I promise you. But it, it, and there's that sense of legalism that can jump in on us and go, well, I would never do such a thing. I can't believe that. And we begin to live, we become so critical about what other people doing or other people are doing. And then we, number three, we kind of focus on these outward standards. You know, whether it be, uh, whether it be the way that somebody dresses when they come to church. Oh, you have to dress a certain way or you're, you have to wear a coat and a tie or you have to dress a certain way or, you know, oh, maybe it's even the opposite. Oh, you can only wear jeans and t-shirts or shorts and flip-flops. It could be legalistic either way. I could, it could be legalistic in the sense where we all wear shirts and ties and coats. Next Sunday, I want everybody in coats and ties, all the guys. And the girls, I want you in big, long dresses. And that would be legalism. But it can flip-flop the other way. No, we're, we don't do that. We're Calvary Chapel. We, we dress however we want. We can wear shorts and T-shirts and flip-flops. We could become legalistic to the other sense. We have to be careful that we're not going to one, to one side or the other. You know, we have to really balance that out and say, wait a minute, am I becoming so focused on these outside standards and you begin to portray or you begin to project these outside standards on somebody else. Oh, we don't watch TV in our house. Oh, you do? I can't believe you watch TV. There's nothing good on TV. Nothing at all. Or, oh, we don't have a computer. You know, we, we've just taken it all away. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing positive in the computer. We've just gotten rid of it. And you look at somebody who, well, well we do have a computer. And, and uh, well, I use my computer for things of the Lord, you know, and you, you, can, you can see how that would project on somebody. Or, uh, you know, oh, oh, we don't let our kids play video games. Or our kids don't use guns, you know. Our kids don't, no, we would never do something like that. And we begin to build these standards, and, and what it does is it builds us up and it looks down at somebody else. But here's the thing, when we do that, we're not understanding the grace of God. We're not seeing those people through God's grace, God's eyes. We're seeing them through the standard that we've set for ourselves. And Paul's saying, if you've set that standard, you're not even living up to it yourself. How many times have you gone on a diet and then blown it? Oh, I'm going to eat healthy this week, this meal. All right, last week I ate healthy. You know, whatever it is, we set these standards and we can't even live up to them, but yet we expect other people to live up to them. Here's another thing. Signs of legalism typically, sometimes, I won't say always, but there's this idea or there's this picture or, or what I've seen is there's no real victory over sin in your life. There, there's this constant struggle with sin. There's this constant battle. There's this constant ongoing, I'm, I'm doing, I can't stop doing it. I keep doing it. I, you're, you're going back and forth where I'm just battling. I, I just keep messing up. That's where you need to surrender. That's because you're not understanding the grace of God. You can't quit sinning. You can't overcome that thing in your own strength. That's what legalism is. I'm going to do it in my strength. It's when we fall before the Lord and go, Lord, I can't do it. I give up. I'm going to accept your grace. I'm going to accept the forgiveness that you've given me. And I'm going to move on. But if you're struggling with sin over and over again, and then you're feeling guilty about it, and you're going, oh, the Lord can't use me. I don't even want to go to church. I'm so far away. I just, Lord, it's not even worth my time. It's not even, no, you, just, you don't understand. I'm just, I'm, I'm filthy. I'm dirty. No, you don't understand who you are before the Lord. You don't understand that before the Lord, we're standing righteous. We're standing justified. We're standing holy, not because of how we live. If the way that you live is taking away your justification or your righteousness, then you're living under a legalistic society or a legalistic law that's set up by, by who? Who placed the standards on you? 
Oftentimes it's ourselves. It can be the church. It can be the culture that we live in. Our standards can come from a number of places. The last one I have here, a sign of legalism, or somebody who's living under a legalistic, they have this... uh, they have this sectarian attitude, or this idea, or this, this, this thing that says, we've got it right. We're the only ones. Calvary Chapel is the only place you can get saved. We've got it right. We're doing it right. No, we don't take an offering. We're better than them. We're better than those churches that pass the, pass the plate. Every, they pass it twice. We don't even pass it at all. Or, yeah, you can wear flip-flops here. So we're, we're, we don't have a fancy building. We're meeting in a warehouse for a, an old dairy building here. We're, we don't, have you seen the front of our building? It's terrible looking. We're much, we're much holier than everybody else meeting with stained glass, don't you think? No, no. You can get saved in the Catholic Church. You can get saved in the Presbyterian Church. You can get saved in the Baptist Church, the Methodist Church. I'm not going to list them all, you know. God can reach people anywhere that you are. We don't ever want to become this attitude that says we've done it right. We've just done it the way that God's called us to do it. There's nothing wrong with taking an offering in church. Nothing at all. There's nothing wrong with the way that different church governments operate. There's several biblical models for church government. There's nothing wrong with, with doing some of the things that we don't do just because other churches do it. We never need to become, oh, well, we do it right, they do it wrong. That's this attitude of pride, of, of the sectarian attitude. We're the only ones. You need to come to our church. We can do it better. No, 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 that, that's legalism. That, that's, that's this picture. We're, we're focused on how we do it. The Apostle Paul is speaking against it and he's saying anytime we put ourselves underneath of a law or a standard that we set up or that the church sets up or that a group of people set up or society sets up, we're obligated to live by it. And every time we do that, we're we're placing ourselves underneath of a curse because we can't live by it. We can't even keep our own standards that we set for ourselves. Let's keep going. Verse 11. No one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Paul says you're not justified by the sight, in the sight of the law. Whether you're living under the Ten Commandments, under the Jewish law, whether you're living underneath your three standards that you set up in your life, or whether you're living under whatever it is, that's not what justifies you. And justified means justified never sinned. That's not what does it. He says the just live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Interestingly enough, he's now using the scriptures, he's using the scriptures of the Old Testament to support his point. The just shall live by faith. Anybody know where it's at in the Old Testament? It's in Habakkuk. You guys know where Habakkuk is? Raise your hand if you know where Habakkuk is. It's right after, what, Nahum and before Zephaniah. You say, well, Rob, that doesn't really help me much. (laughs) It's one of the minor prophets. But Habakkuk wrote, the just shall live by faith. Now Paul's going to build on this statement, and here's what happens. I come to Christ. I get a belief in Jesus Christ. I get saved. Paul says the just are going to continue to live by faith, not live by a set of standards that's set up for me. Anytime we set up these standards for ourselves, you're setting yourself up for failure to, to undergo, to, to, you're not going to fulfill them. Paul says the just shall live by faith. And he mentions it three other times in the New Testament as well, three times total. He mentions it in the, well, the author of Hebrews, may have been Paul, mentions it. But again, he also mentions it in, uh, in Romans chapter 1. The just shall live by faith. But no one is justified by the law 
it, in the sight of God, is, it is evident, which means it's obvious, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by faith. He says this, it doesn't take any faith to live under a law. It takes obedience. It doesn't take faith to live under the Ten Commandments. If you were going to set up for yourself a standard of salvation, and I'm going to live and keep under the Ten Commandments, that doesn't take any faith at all. It doesn't take any faith to live underneath the laws of the state of Maryland or the state of Pennsylvania or the state of West Virginia, wherever you are. It doesn't take any faith. You, you live underneath of them. You either keep them or you break them. It's, it's, it's simple. You can't be, you know, we cannot be saved because we're keeping the law, because we're doing the things that a good Christian should do. How many times have we been guilted into doing something at a church like uh, well, we're having a, you know, I could say, well, let's see, this side of the room got more people here than this side next, that, this week. Or maybe it's close, but we bring all the kids back. This side definitely wins. So you guys, you know, you really need to go out and evangelize a little more. You know, next week, I want you guys to be out on the streets and I want you to be door knocking. And if you beat them, I'll send them out next week and we'll get them to come in and we can see how many people that we can bring in here. And it becomes a church growth plant. And now, is it wrong to go out and evangelize? Not at all. Is it wrong for someone to go knocking on doors and saying, hey, I want to share Christ with you. I want to invite you to my church. Not at all. But if it becomes a standard set up where I begin to make you feel like if you don't do that, then you're not being a good Christian, that's when it becomes wrong. All good Christians go out and do, go out door knocking, right? That's where it, there's nothing wrong with doing it. It's just, am I putting a burden on somebody that's not necessarily there? Some people go, you know what? I'm not comfortable talking to people I don't know. I'm kind of shy. That's not, that's not my thing. I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's okay. And other people go, I'd love to go out door knocking. Let's go. Can we go every week? Sure, go ahead. You know, absolutely. If that's what the Lord calls you to do, that's what's important. That's why you'll hear me say, it's obedience to the Lord that we want to respond to. If the Lord puts on your heart to walk through this neighborhood next week and knock on doors and invite people to church, do it. But I'm not going to be the one that makes you do it. I'm not going to be the one that tells you to do it. Let follow him. If you'll follow him in that aspect, you'll follow him in every other aspect of your life too. That's where, that, and Paul's saying here very clearly, the law can't save us. You, and he's saying to them, he goes, you guys, here's what happened in, in Galatia. You believed on Jesus Christ, you got saved, you saw an incredible work of the Holy Spirit, you saw healings, the Spirit was poured out. Now you're going back under the law, which is the very thing that you were freed from. You were very, these very requirements that we couldn't keep, that we kept failing at, now you're trying to drag everybody back under them. The law is not possible to save you. The just shall live by faith, yet the law is not faith. It takes no faith to live under a law, but the man who does them shall live by faith. Notice he says the man who does them shall live by faith. That means the people that are keeping the law need to be doing it by faith. Is there anything wrong with me getting up early in the morning and doing morning devotionals before I start my day? No, it's highly recommended. I would recommend it for you. But I do that, why? Because of my faith in Jesus Christ. My faith in the Lord comes and then the works follow. Not the works first. I don't increase my status before the Lord by doing things for Him. I realize what He's done for me and I can't wait to do something for him. It's got to go in that order. Otherwise, if it goes backwards, if it becomes works in hopes that I... You know, maybe you've heard people say, I'll go to church when I get myself cleaned up a little bit. I've got to get myself ready to go to church. No, that's, a, that, that's legalism. That's works-based salvation. 
you need to tell that person today that they need to be in church somewhere. They need to be in church because they need, that's where they're going to get cleaned up. They can't do it on their own. That's, that's the picture of what's taking place here. So Paul says, the man who does them shall live by faith. Look what he says in verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. So Paul says, listen, as you place yourself back underneath of this law, and to the Galatians it was the Hebrew law, the Jewish law, as you place your back, back, yourself back underneath this, you've been redeemed from that. That means you've been purchased, you've been bought, there's been a price paid. You were cursed because you were under the law. I set before you a blessing and a cursing to the nation of Israel. A blessing if you obey, a cursing if you disobey. What did they do, by the way? They disobeyed. The same thing that we would do. We disobey. They disobeyed. And what happened? The nation of Israel went through some really tough times. I set before you a blessing and a cursing. Paul says Christ came along. He redeemed you from this curse. I'm taking this curse away from you. I'm taking this standard away from that you couldn't live up to. I want you to be free. I'm taking you away. I'm going to redeem you. And by the way, that means that word means to be purchased or to be bought at a price. Picture this. Let me just kind of give you an idea of what it means. Let's say that we were to go to, uh, well, I don't think we need to, it doesn't happen in this country, but around the world, you guys know that slavery is still in existence. We, we, don't, we don't have it here, but Africa and other places, it, slavery is still very much in existence. And they still have auctions and they still have places where slaves are bought and sold. So let's say that you were to go to one of those places and you were to stand there and they were to bring out a, a, a man or a woman and you were to bid on them and you were to pay their price and set them free. You pay the price to whoever it was, you buy that person, you say, by the way, congratulations, you're free. No, no strings attached. That's what redeemed means. That means I've paid the price that was required. I've paid the price. I've redeemed this person out of the situation that they were in. They were underneath of somebody else, like the, like the Israelites were underneath of the law. They were underneath of this. I'm going to redeem them, and I'm going to set them free. What if they said, no, they never left? And they, they, they had the freedom to go, but they just wouldn't leave. They would just sit there. I don't believe it. I don't believe I'm really free. They spend their whole life just sitting there going, I'm not going anywhere. I don't, believe, I don't believe it's for real. No, no, I just paid the price. I gave the man a few hundred bucks, go. No, I don't believe it. They could live their whole life in bondage they didn't need to live in. That's the picture of what it would be like to live underneath of a law. You've been redeemed is what Paul's saying. You've been redeemed from this very thing that you couldn't live up to. And now you want to take it and put it back on other people? Let's keep going. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the, curse of the law Having, how did he do that, Rob? Having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Rob, how did Christ redeem us? He became the curse. He became the curse. He paid the penalty for our sin. The penalty for sin is clear in the Bible. It's what? It's death. It's death. Christ didn't just pay a few hundred bucks to let us go. He stood in and said, I realize that they're a slave to sin. I will take their position. Let them go free. I will stand in their place. I will take that burden. I will redeem them. In, they can put it on me. Give me the burden of the law. He became the curse that we were under. That's what Paul's saying here. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Interestingly enough, that was written in the book of Deuteronomy as well. 
And back then there was no crucifixion. It's prophetic. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The Romans didn't invent it. They sort of perfected crucifixion. But that was written back long before crucifixion ever existed. And it didn't necessarily mean crucifixion, although we can interpret it that way today and we can see exactly, hey, that's what it was talking about. Is Jesus Christ hanging on the tree? He was the one being cursed. What it really meant back in that day was when they believed what would happen to the body after somebody died. If they wanted to humiliate somebody, they would hang their body on a tree. Remember King Saul and Jonathan, after they were killed, were hung from a tree. You know, so that's the idea is that it was cursed. We can look at that today and go, wow, Lord, look how you orchestrated that to mean two different things. It had an application in that day, but then we see it and go, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Paul is referring to Christ being hung on the cross, being hung on the tree. He was the one. How did he take our, how did he redeem us? He became cursed and was hung on the tree. That's what we're celebrating this week. That's what we're remembering this week is that he was hung on the tree for our sins. Why? Why did you do that, Lord? Look at verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Paul is setting up this this picture. Why did you do that? Because there was a promise that was made way back when to Abraham or to Abram. That, that, that he, his, through his seed would be a blessing to many nations. Paul's setting this up saying, why did you do that? So the promise of Christ, so salvation could come to the Gentiles. That's why I did that. So that you and I could be here today a couple of thousand years later and say, yes, I'm saved. Yes, we don't have to live under the Jewish law. We don't have to do those things. We're saved. Why did he do it? Let's keep reading. Abram... Um, Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Look at 15. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. So he's going back to speak about the covenant between God and Abraham. And he says, listen, if a man makes a covenant... If two men make a covenant, they agree on it, that's it, it's decided. No one adds to it, no one takes away from it. If God makes a covenant, how much more is it set in stone? How much more is it decided? How much more is it final, is what he's saying. So when God made a covenant with Abraham, that's what he's talking about. Verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say into seeds, which is plural, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, God told Abraham, in your seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed. Because you have obeyed and you've believed me. All nations of the earth shall be blessed in your seed. Paul says, listen, that seed, that promise was given to Abraham, that seed is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. It's not the Jewish people or the Jewish lineage. It's not the Jewish heritage. The seed that the promise was given to Abraham, how is it all nations are going to be blessed? When the Messiah comes. When Christ comes, that's how all nations will be blessed. You see, if it was the Jewish nation, if it was all the nation Israel, then we would all be turning Jewish to be saved. We'd have to all be converting to Judaism if that's really where the blessing or where salvation came from. Paul's saying, no, no. The seed, the promise, it's Jesus Christ and nobody else. 
That's where salvation comes from. And he's laying out this beautiful argument. You can see how, how them being stuck in this idea that they have to continue in Judaism, they have to continue in obeying the law. Paul says, no, remember the promise to Abram? Yeah, remember that promise that God made to Abraham? Of course they knew what it meant. Of course they remembered it. To his seed, Paul goes, remember that was, that was singular. That wasn't plural. To his seed that was singular. There's one seed, there's one promise, there's one person coming through the line of Abraham that's going to bless all the nations. And that's going to be Jesus Christ. Look, what he, look how he spells it out. Verse 16 again. Now to Abram, Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed who is Christ. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For the, if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Paul, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. Paul says, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Abraham lived 430 years before the law, and he received the promise. So now, why are you saying that we have to be under the law? It didn't come till 430 years later. That he's got to leave them speechless with this argument. You guys are so focused on the law and so focused on living under the law, but the promise was made to Abraham. The covenant can't be changed because if God says something, it's true. It'll, he, he can't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. This can't, it's impossible to have it changed. So wait a minute, 430 years before the law of Moses, before Moses was given the law, this covenant was made. What makes you think it's changed now? And they would have to stand there and go, well, it wasn't. But they would have an argument. They would begin to look and say, well, then why was the law given, Paul? I don't understand. The law, then you're, you're saying the law is dumb. You're saying the law is stupid. You're saying the law is useless. You're saying we don't even need a law. Rob, you're saying that in Christianity, you, you're talking about all this grace stuff. You're saying we don't have to do anything for the Lord. Now look what Paul says. Verse 19, what purpose then does the law serve? Good question. Why do we have a law? Paul says it was added because of transgressions until the seed should come. That's until Christ should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Paul says, what's the purpose of the law? It's to show you something. It's to show you what, what transgression is. It's to show you what sin looks like. It's to design something so that you know when you've wronged me in some way. We have a law in our state of Maryland. It's called a speed limit. You guys know what that is? You do, right? How do you know when you're breaking the speed limit? Because the law is spelled out for you. The little gauge on your car tells you I'm doing 55. The sign I just passed says the speed limit's 45. What does that mean? I broke the law. What if there was no speed limit signs? What if there was no, no, no speed limit laws? What if there's nothing and you could just go as fast as you wanted? And there was no police to stop you. What do you think it would look like? It'd be chaos. It'd be like Haiti or someplace where they drive like, there's other countries where they do drive that way. It would be absolutely insane. Now, here's the other argument. Let's say that you're driving through the streets of Cumberland here and you get pulled over by the nice police officer and he comes up to your window and he says, do you know why I stopped you? And you say no. And he says, well, there's a law in the state of Maryland that says you were speeding. And you go, I don't believe in that law. I don't believe that law exists. No, I don't, I don't, believe, I don't, I don't believe in it. 
You know, what is he going to say to you? He's going to hand you the ticket. He's going to tell you that you have three options. You can either pay the fine and get points on your license. You can pay a reduced fine and go to driving school and not get points. Or you can plead not guilty and I'll see you in court. Press hard five copies. And off you go with your little, in Florida they were yellow slips. I don't, I've never gotten one here. So they were, I don't know what color they were. In Florida they were a little yellow slip you gave the people and off they went. You know? No, I don't believe in this law, Rob. I don't believe in Moses' law. It doesn't matter. It's still there. It still exists. You see, if we're not in Christ, we're still under it. Our sin still is defined by the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is what defines right and wrong in the eyes of God. Now, the Hebrews have gone beyond that, and through the book of Leviticus, we've added some things to it. You know, the Scriptures, God has added some things to it, but basically centers around the Ten Commandments. If I break those laws, I'm guilty. If I'm under those laws, I'm guilty. What's my penalty? What's my fine? Do I just get a ticket and go on my way? No, the Bible says if you break the law, you're sentenced to death. Well, I don't want to die. You don't have to die. Because Christ paid the curse. He redeemed you. He took the curse upon himself. Well, what do I have to do? It says here we just have to believe. We have to believe in him. Verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. Paul says that's dumb. It's not against the promises of God. For if there had been a law given which could have given life Truly, righteousness would have been by the law. But the Scripture has confirmed all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Paul says, listen, if you could have eternal life, if you could come into a relationship with God, if you could be made right before the Lord through the law, if that could happen, Christ wouldn't have needed to die. If there's, but there's not a law that's given that can save you. Sure, there's a law given that can protect you. There's a law given that will show you where your sins are. There's a law given that will show you where you fall. But the problem is, even if I was to decide today, I'm no longer, I'm going, I'm no longer going to sin. I'm going to keep those Ten Commandments for the rest of my life. What do I do with everything leading up to today? You see, because the scripture would be clear to tell us that if we broke one, just one, just one, one little thing, if we've done one thing against those Ten Commandments, that's it. We're bound for death, bound for death, bound for hell, eternal separation from God. Just one. And I think we could go around the room and say, you know what? We've all done at least one thing wrong, probably this week. Probably yesterday. Jesus says, I don't want that to happen. Paul's saying, listen, let's not put ourselves under the very burden that we were freed from. I, I, Jesus, if he could speak to us, I think would say, I died so you wouldn't have to be in this legalistic relationship. Would you just love me? Enjoy my grace. Enjoy my love. Wait, 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 Rob, be careful. Don't talk too much about grace because then you have people living any way they want. No, I completely disagree. If someone understands the grace of God, they're not going to want to live a life of sin. They're not going to want to just do whatever they want. They're going to realize every time they sin, they're going to go, oh, Lord, I know you died for that. Forgive me. And it might be over and over and over again, but they're going to get right back up and they're going to see, I stand before the Lord justified, even if I've made a mistake. Because there's nobody perfect. Anybody perfect out there? No hands go up. Raise your hand if you're perfect. 
Jason, you got your hand up? <laughs> None of us are perfect. Remember that the next time we find ourselves condemning somebody else. The next time we look at somebody else and go, oh, gee, you know, look at them. Be careful. That's our legalistic mentality sitting in going, I'm doing better than they are. Not really, because we're all still sinners before the Lord. All we do as Christians is we stand before the Lord and we know where we stand. People will say, I don't believe in that nonsense. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. Even if somebody doesn't believe it, it doesn't make it not true. It's like get pulled over by a policeman tell them you don't believe in the speed limit. Don't pay your taxes. Tell the IRS you don't believe in taxes. Make, it doesn't happen. There's a law that is over top of us that we're under whether you like it or not. Paul keeps going. He says, but the Scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. We're all sinners, but the promise by faith Faith is where, com- it's where faith comes in. What do I have to have faith in? It's in the gospel. What is the gospel? That Jesus died for my sins. That he was buried and he rose again. That's what, the, that's what my faith is in. That I'm no longer underneath of this law. That I can be forgiven and free from the sins that, I'm, that I've committed. The sins that I'm going to commit. The sins in my future and my past. If confined all under sin, we're all guilty that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, Before Christ, is what he's saying, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Before Christ came, we're kept under guard by the law. It's kind of the fence. It's kind of, think of it as the fence around us. The law is what told us what was right and what was wrong. What what do we eat, what we don't eat. That that explains Judaism in in a box. This is this is who we are. It's kind of where we are. You always know where you stand by how well you're keeping the law. That's what they did. Now, like I said today, don't let your requirements that you place on yourself be the thing that determines how you stand before the Lord this day. Let it be what He's done for you. I can have a bad day. I can blow it sinning. I can get angry. I can say things I shouldn't say. I can do things I shouldn't do. And do you know that I stand before the Lord just as justified, just as justified, as I did before I committed my sins, if I'm in Christ Jesus, just as I, there's, there's, no, there's no difference. He chooses not to look upon them. He can't look upon them. He says, I already paid for them. I already paid. Now, I will tell you and will remind you, grace is for falling, not for jumping. That means grace is for falling into sin, not for jumping off. Someone who says, well, I'm just going to go enjoy sin today because I have the, all the grace I want. No, 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 no. That's not what it's talking about. Grace is for the believer that says, I am here to serve the Lord. I still live in my flesh. I still make mistakes. And God says, I got you covered. When someone says, I got all the grace I need. I'm, I'm off and I'm going to live whatever life I want. They're not in the grace of God. They don't understand the grace. They're living on their own, their own system that they've made up in their mind. Because someone who understands the cost and the price that was paid goes, Lord, I don't want to do anything apart from you. Why would I want to live apart from what, the way that my God calls me to live? All those things that he, the, all those legalism things, I said it last week, they're a blessing if you do them. You get up in the morning and read your Bible, you're going to be blessed. If you read your Bible a half an hour a day, do you know in a year you'll be a different person? In 10 years, you will be a completely different person. If you just spend 30 minutes a day in your Bible, and you go to, that, when you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, would you show me something about myself and about you this morning in my word? 
and you do that for 30 minutes, you will be changed like you wouldn't believe. In, in, in a year, five years, ten years, it'll be amazing what God will do. If you, but you have to be willing to do it. But, but, if I say to you, all good Christians get up and read their Bible 30 minutes a day, and out of obligation, you set your alarm, and you get up, and you read 30 minutes a day, you know what's going to happen in a year? He can still use it, he might, but probably nothing. Because you're going to be tired, you're not going to be paying attention, you're not going to be really wanting to meet with the Lord, you're just doing it out of obligation. That's legalism. Paul says you don't have to do that anymore. So why do we have the law? Verse 24, Paul says this, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Paul says the law is our teacher. The law is set up, it's designed to show us that we're sinners. It's designed to show us that we can't live up to the standard. It's designed to show us that we need a Savior. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul says, and I'm going to kind of summarize it, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't do. He's not talking about a Christian life there. I know it's been talking about the struggling Christian. But I believe the Apostle Paul is talking about his life underneath the law. I believe the Apostle Paul, he says, I'm trying to keep the law the best I can and I can't. And the things I want to do, I can't do. And the things I don't want to do, I keep doing them. Because if you keep reading, he's going to say next, who is going to deliver me from this body of sin, O wretched man that I am? And he will close it out with, thanks be to Jesus Christ. Thanks be to Jesus Christ. Oftentimes that verse in that area of Scripture is used, oh, you're just a struggling Christian. Look, even the Apostle Paul struggled with this stuff. That's not what he's talking about. He's going back. He said, listen, when I was under the law, I wanted to keep the law. I tried to keep the law. I couldn't keep the law. Who's going to deliver me from this law? Thanks be to Jesus Christ. How does he deliver me? I'm no longer under it. I'm free from it. I'm no longer under it. Why do I want to put myself back underneath of it? Let me give you one more illustration. And we'll close, which means I have like 15 more minutes. Now, one more illustration. Picture this. You walk into a jail, and you open up the door, and you tell the prisoner, go on, you're free. No, I'm not free. I'm staying here. I'm underneath, I'm staying, I'm staying here. Nope, it's my jail cell. I'm living here. No, no, seriously, you're free. Okay. And you open up all the doors. And they, no, no, I'm not leaving. And they stay there in their jail cell, and they begin to decorate their jail cell. And they make it look nice. They maybe put a picture of a window and they, they can make it look like, oh, I'm free. Look, I'm in my... But they're still bound. They're still, they're, still, they're still stuck. They're putting themselves underneath the law. They won't walk. They won't leave this confinement, this prison that they're in. Why? Because they don't believe they're free. What does it take? What would it take? If I walked into a prison, opened the door and told him, you're free, go ahead. What would, what would it take? It would take faith, wouldn't it? He'd have to believe that what I was saying... Now, most jails, what would happen? The guys would start running and see how far they could get. But if I was true and I really did have that power to open them and release them, they would have to believe that I had that power. They would have to believe that it was in my authority to say, you are free. They would have to believe that I was the one that could really provide them freedom. So when Christ tells us, you're free from the law, you're free from sin, why are you still struggling with it? Why are you still worried about it? Why are you still walking in it? Why are you still, you're free. And we don't believe that. We're like the prisoner sitting in jail with the door open. That's kind of dumb, isn't it? 
How do I cross over? How do I get out of this? If you've been living as a legalistic Christian, it's faith in Jesus Christ and it's repentance. Lord, forgive me. I've been living under my own laws. You freed me from yours and I believe that, but all of a sudden I've placed myself under my own. I'm living under my own set standards. That's not who we want to live. If you want to receive the joy in the Lord, if you want to be joyful in Christ, understand His grace just a little bit more. Paul's making it beautifully clear, and we're not done. We've got a long way to go in the book of Galatians yet. Paul's just setting up the doctrinal position. This is what I've experienced. This is what you've experienced. And now he's basically said, this is what the Bible says. The promise was made to Abraham. Before the law came into existence, now you're free. Now, we'll have to wait till next week because the Apostle Paul is going to tell us not only are we free, we're sons and daughters, we're heirs of the Lord. That's good news. Father, we come before you. Lord, thanks for this word. And Lord, I know that even in my life, I have a tendency to be legalistic sometimes. I can heap up these things and these rules and these desires out of good intentions, Father. These ways that I should act. But Lord, would you open my eyes? Would you open our eyes to those things in our life that we've placed upon ourselves? Lord, may we come to know your joy through your grace, not through a system or a set of rules that we've designed. Father, it's your heart to spend time, personal time, intimate time with each one of us. May we not miss that because we don't think we're worthy, because we haven't been good today. Instead, Lord, may may our failures cause us to run into your presence. May it cause us to bathe in your grace. Lord, would you give us a little more understanding of exactly what that grace is, how much we need it and how much it applies to us. Father, may we not leave here in bondage to a religious system, a religious ritual, or a routine of any sorts. But may we leave here walking free with your joy in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen.